Rutgers legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Yo, what is up? Welcome to Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, Brad Wilson, and I am super pumped to have you with me here today. From over-the-top TV personalities to the nearly anonymous online grinders cashing out thousands of dollars a week to the leaders of poker media, we're going in search of insights and advice from the world's best poker players and ambassadors. You'll hear words of wisdom and words of warning. You'll look at what keeps them coming back to the table and what they do with their downtime. You'll be able to examine how they think, how they deal with the ups, the downs, and the almost endless repetition that comes with playing one hand after another for days, weeks, months, and years. Some of them have shaped the game. Some of them have grown the game. Some of them have changed the game. All of them have one thing in common. Each of them, in their own way, has achieved poker greatness. Today's guest is live cash game crusher and online personality, DGAF. DGAF is one of the best professional live cash game players in the world. He's been playing poker as a pro since 2007 and claiming that he's going to quit since about 2012. He's a personal friend, someone I've had the pleasure and the honor of doing battle against on the green felt throughout my own poker career. We talk about what got him started with poker, how he became a professional player, and his thoughts on eventually getting out of the game. He'll share the reasoning behind his somewhat paradoxical views on why you should love the game, why you should work tirelessly to get better, and why you shouldn't be looking to make poker your full-time job and career. For more than 10 years now, he's been crushing high-stakes live poker games. As any poker pro will tell you, though, it's not all roses and rainbows. From huge highs to rock-bottom lows, shady people, and even a brush with the Hell's Angels, he explains what daily life in card rooms and casinos can be like. His posts on the 2 Plus 2 poker forums have earned more than 2 million, yes, that's million, views. He's a successful podcaster himself, publishing not one, but two well-reviewed podcasts. He co-hosts the mental health call-in, or should I say, mail-in show, Solicited Advice, where a psychiatrist and professional poker player get together once a week to record a podcast over some Belgian beers. Uh, that's their description, not mine. He also headlines his own podcast, DGAF's Poker Sessions, where he chronicles his adventures in an attempt to get back to even from $250,000 worth of debt with no bankroll. He'll soon publish a book about his life and adventures in poker titled The Long Run, and he's put together a collection of some of the coolest poker apparel and accessories to hit the market at pokerrags.us. He is, without a doubt, one of the best liked and most respected players to ever take a seat at a poker table, and it's truly an honor to have him with me as today's guest. I can only hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed recording it. So without any further ado, let's let DGAF speak for himself. DGAF, my man, how you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, you know, you're, you're a good friend of mine, one of the guys that I had the pleasure of meeting and building a relationship with in my time in LA. And, you know, you're a high stakes crusher. You're, you're my people. So I'm super pumped to talk to you. Me too. That, those were good times, huh? Amazing times, amazing times. And I tell everybody about those times playing cards and traveling and live that the relationships that I made were so much more memorable than the actual cards that were being played. Of course, that stuff doesn't matter long term. It's all about the, the people. No, and I still remember the look on your face when you lost credit card roulette that night that we stayed out till 5 a.m. drinking. Um, <laughs> I this still is like every night of my life, man. Remind me <laughs> where we were. I don't even know where we were. It was 5 a.m. I had a flight at like 9 a.m. We had played basketball with Corey and Jesse and Mike. And uh, we went out to drink afterwards. And it was like a $1,000 tab. Um, everybody had side bets. And, you know, you didn't fade credit cards roulette. You, uh, you, you were on the hook for like fifteen or 1600 
That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I, but I will say, though, I think you got the best of it. Uh, me being a lightweight, not, not a heavy drinker, not a heavy eater, I would say that uh, percentage-wise, I think that long-term, you, you crush me. Oh, I'm always going to get value in those. When we're chopping it up evenly, like at a dinner or whatever, I'll get value just based on, I'll have at least you know one more drink than you. <laughs> at least five more drinks than me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how long dinner was or whatever, or what we were doing. Sounds like we were doing something fun, though. We were having a lot of fun. It was a good time. That's good. Uh, so let's start this out by, uh, let's, let's tell the audience your story about getting into playing cards for a living. How'd that come about? Okay. Well, I was always a card player, even as like a really small kid. I loved it. Uh, I just loved like the strategy, but more than the strategy, like the psychology of it, the reads, the, the giving off fake tells, stuff like that. I just always loved that stuff. And so I always played and I always did well with my friends, you know, and I, and I even played before the boom. I was in the, cause I was like, the kid in the Indian casinos before the boom with all the old people. I was playing high-low stud, limit hold'em. There was no no limit hold'em. And then, uh, you know, just working shitty jobs the whole time. And then I remember the day that no limit broke. You know, Moneymaker had just won. Um, ESPN did a great job broadcasting that. And then they started a game at my local casino, Viejas, in San Diego. And I jumped in it right away. And like maybe 10 minutes into it, I ran a really horrible bluff, but it worked. I just like called down with an open ender, missed. And then the guy with the obvious overpair, the old man checked to me and I just stuffed it. Like, I don't know. It was just uh, impulsive. I just said, I'm all in, you know, cause I missed my draw. And he, <laughs> yeah. He it's hard to win, work. hard to win by checking. <laughs> He showed the overpair and folded it. And honestly, since that, that hand, I knew like Nolan and Hold'em, that was my game. <laughs> and then I started, I started trying to get good at it. I read, there wasn't much to read. Really, it was just like Super System and like Theory of Poker, maybe a few other things. There was not much out there, which was good, I thought. Um, but I got way into it. I was keeping, even back then, I kept track of every session. I How wrote about every session. What's that? How old were you? I was probably, so it broke in what, 2004? I was 30 years old, but I was in the casino since I was old enough to be in them. I'm 45 now. Wow, I was just doing the math. I was trying to calculate it in my head. I was like, man. Yeah, can you believe I'm 45 years old? I can't. And you, you can still crush me at basketball. You're, uh... <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's but, been a, uh, been a yeah. few years. It's a uh, it's yeah. I don't play much much basketball anymore. But uh, yeah, so then I got really serious about it, and I had other jobs, and you know I was doing I was doing well, but I didn't really go on a heater for a few years, um, and then I and then I went on a heater, um, which is how everyone becomes a pro, pretty much one way or another. They either bink something huge, or they just go on a heater at their at their card room. And, um, that's what I did. And that was like in 2007. And I said, you know, I have a job, but what was your job? It's been, I actually had moved up. I, I had, I started out as a delivery driver at a company that got, um, ended up getting bought out by Grubhub and I just moved up. I was kind of like really thirsty to move up in life. I was getting married and all that. And I'd moved all the way up to a regional manager within a couple of years. I just, you know, applied myself, something I hadn't done very much in my life. And so I had that job and it was a cool job. I was, it was actually, interestingly, I was in charge of San Diego and Las Vegas. Those were my territories. I was flying back and forth. It was cool having people to, to manage and develop and all that, but I wasn't making anywhere near what I was making at the casino at night. So I finally, I wasn't getting any sleep. So I finally had to choose, you know, one and I chose one where my hourly was way higher. What did, your, what, did your wife, what did your wife think about that? How'd that conversation go? Well, I don't remember actually how that went. It was, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it was too tough of a sell because I was bringing home so much money anyways. And yeah, it just wasn't that hard of a sell. 
I don't think. I think some <laughs> family didn't really like the idea. I mean, this was 2007. There weren't a ton of poker pros at this time. So, yeah, it wasn't like a very common thing. But it's still it not, it's still not super common, I don't think. I think we're just so much in it that we you know, we're so immersed in it that, that, uh, I still, to this day, when people ask me what I do and I say, I'm a poker pro, the first question, it's always the first question. You can make money doing that. That's like the first question that everybody always asks me even today. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I usually get asked like, you know, do you count cards or whatever? Oh my God. That one too. Yeah. Do you count (laughs) cards? (laughs) They're always disappointed uh, when I'm like, no, <laughs> not at all. And I'm pretty shitty yeah. at math too. So let's put, let's put that on the table right away. There's no way you're shitty at math. Are you really? I don't know. No, I guess it depends on who I'm okay. comparing myself to. But yeah. I think that's the misnomer, right? You got to be really good at math to play, to play poker professionally. And you, you really don't, you need to be able to guesstimate and, uh, size things up in your head. But other than that, you know, you don't need to be, uh, I don't know, who's a math wizard? See, I don't even know who a math wizard is to, to compare it to. Well, that's because math wizards aren't very popular. Russell Crowe. <laughs> you don't need to be John Russell Nash. Crow. <laughs> that's yeah. who it is. You don't need to be those guys. Um, no. But yeah, that's, that's my story. And then I, I have been a professional poker player ever since 2007, trying to get out of it, trying to transition out of it now. It's been a long time. Like, so... so- Let's talk about that because that's something that I find interesting. You know, a lot of people listening to the show right now, you know, the show is chasing poker greatness, right? So right. why, what about poker in the long term uh, is leading you towards getting out of the game? I'm glad you asked that. I'm pretty passionate about this. So that's good. You have people that want to be great at poker and I'm all for that. Be great at poker, play often play as high as you can responsibly. Sure. If that's what you want, go for it, but never make it your career because most likely if you're getting into it, you are on, like, if you're considering going pro, you're on some kind of heater that most likely, I mean, there are outliers that stay on that heater for a decade or whatever, (laughs) but most likely, you know, you're not going to be in a few years and it's going to be a lot different. You're just The games are going to get tougher, but more so you're just going to stop running hot. And that aside, the lifestyle that seems so great, it might not seem that great in 10 years when, you know, like we were talking about traveling around, staying up all night, credit card roulette, that stuff's a blast, right? But then fast forward 10 years, you got kids, you're like, you want to be like their basketball coach. And that means you got to be up early in the morning. And now you're, the game's good though. The game's good after midnight. Um, I really believe that you should never make it anything more than like a supplemental income, a side job, or and, or decide to do it full time. But no, you need to get out in a few years because life's going to get a lot more complicated when you get older. You'll probably have kids. Um, you know, you might have relationships that you want to spend time in. You might not want to be at the casino all night. Yeah, uh, for sure, and I can definitely empathize with that. And I would add something to that. And for the people starting their poker journey on that heater, and I'm, I'm one of those guys, I'm the typical person, right? I I was on a cash game heater and I binked a tournament for like 15,000 really quick. Boom. You're a pro. That's sort of, yeah, boom, I'm a pro. And, And I've been able to maintain the success over these last 15 years. But the flip side is like, always be looking for different sources of income as a poker player, something that you can rely on that's stable uh, while you're riding the heater, um, no matter what it is, just try to figure out some other income stream because that becomes, you know, it's not super valuable. You know, it's not making 2K a month or 1K a month. It doesn't feel super valuable when you're on a heater and you're crushing and making 200K a year. But when the downswing happens and things are going horrible, that little income stream can make all the difference in the world. So obviously the journey of a, of a pro filled with highs and lows. We started, you know, your career started on a heater. Tell me about a low. Tell me about your rock bottom. Okay. I'll get to my rock bottom, but so yeah. So 
I, I kind of decided to go pro in 2007 and it coincided with a heater as everyone's does, but mine was just like a cash game here. I didn't, I never had like a serious tournament bank or a jackpot or anything. I mean, a lot of pros win a jackpot and then they become a pro and then they learn how to get good at poker. But anyways, so that was fine. And then I was kind of actually like running too hot in my local casino and just annihilating it, like winning every single day. <laughs> and people got sick of me, even though I was very like, I wasn't smug at all. They got sick of me just winning all the time and actually taking it seriously. And there was only like one or two other pros. And so I decided to move to Vegas, like a bigger pond. I was kind of pushed out of that casino. How do they and push you out? I had like, It was weird, man. It's like a really like, you, you think your local casino is like, very friendly but if you start winning real money in there on a daily basis you're gonna find like the ugly side of people and it uh a lot of the nice recreational players were like no you need to go find a, a bigger pond and also one of them that wasn't that nice some like um ex-con guy he like threatened to kill me like he was what? so upset that i kept how yeah. did that go like I kept... how, what did he say he he would say stuff, and I've never been the best at just brushing that stuff off. And then one day he brought in a Hell's Angel to kind of like scare me or whatever, and like sit behind me, just being kind of weird. And luckily, I knew some really uh, shady people myself, <laughs> uh, so I called them, and they two, two guys showed up that you know I was going to be fine. But it was just kind of that it got. Even if I wasn't, if, if nothing was going to happen, you don't need that kind of stress in your life, that kind of negativity. Yeah, it was just crazy. time for me to, I, I, and I also learned at that point, you should always bounce around if you can. You don't want to be in the same room winning all the money all the time. So I really learned the, you know, the value in bouncing around. Went to Vegas. There's lots of casinos. It was an adjustment. The, the players were better, but the mistake they made is they, they sat deep and you could exploit that plenty. Um, and so it actually, I didn't have any issues until, um, 2011 and I still won, like, I still won like teacher money or cop money, whatever you want to call it. But my expenses were a joke. They were like, you know, pro athlete expenses because <laughs> that's what I was used to. Making. Yeah. And so that was, a, that was enough to bust me even a winning year, like a, a, a teacher salary, whatever that busted me because I was spending so much money traveling, you know, having a kid, you know, just being irresponsible with my money, Life. how I always was. Right. Yeah. So then 2012, I, you know, decided to get really serious about poker again. I uh, didn't drink at all that whole year, uh, aside from like four times. And it started out rough. You know, I was playing very focused, but that, you know, sometimes that doesn't matter, right? Like, you can play as focused as you want, but if you're not getting any cards and you're running bad, it won't matter. But then luckily I did start to run better and I had a good year. And then the next year I just kind of returned to myself having fun and building the good games. And I had a great year. I played a, so that, that was it. In 2011, I busted by 2013. I was flush again. I was playing heads up. Anyone that wanted to play heads up. And I was on a heads up heater in, in Vegas during the world series. Just, I would have them announce it over the microphone. Anyone want to play heads up for any amount? No limit. Come see this idiot that's drinking at this table right now. <laughs> I swear. I would have to say like exactly that. And I would get takers and I was on a heater. I was playing anyone. And uh, yeah. And then, but, you know, I just, like you said, it's good to have that, those other streams. It's good to put money away. I never did either of those things. I didn't really learn my lesson, which it sucks. I wish I had. And by 2017, then I went through what I, I, I wrote an essay called the abyss where I talked about, and I'm sure you've been in it long enough that you know, this feeling, you can't win with any hand, you know, that like, they're going to flop a set every time you get it in with aces against ace jack offsuit pre and really need to win. You know, the guy's going to make a straight. It's just like, you just, you know, that feeling, right? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's this feeling where. Um, you get aces, right? And, and you're like, okay, I have aces. You three bet pre, and the flop's like deuce four eight, and you bet. Yeah. And be before you bet, you know you're getting check raised. It's like before you bet, yeah. you know you're fucked, right? And then you bet, and you get check right. raised. And like, yeah, I mean, it's it, like variance is a bitch, and you can always run worse than than you can imagine. And that's yeah, that's what I did in 2000. Um, 
17, just like, we're, like, I'm not kidding, like 40K in the middle, the guy has one out. We're all in, one out going to the river. Just lose that. Mm. Um, and, you know, someone who's never had much of a bankroll, I've always just, if I have money, I spend it. I take care of family, friends, whatever. You need 5K here. Pay me back if you want, whatever. It's not correct, but that's the way I always was. So then, yeah, 2017 was worse than I ever could have imagined. Like so many, I just would get it in really, really good. You know, when you're, when you're running hot and you get in with 80%, you just expect to win and you win. But when you're running horrible, you don't win. Like you just lose to that 20% over and over or 10%. Uh, so yeah. And the thing that happened there is my, my kind of vicious cycle was win money, spend it, then start to run bad, need to borrow money, win back, pay back, same thing. And then in 2017, I ran so bad for so long. Um, you know, I had my first uh, losing year. I thought I could never have a losing year. I didn't lose much. I lost like 20K or something. I lost more than that in one hand where I was 98%. But that's enough. If you have big spending habits, and now I have two kids at this point, and you know, going through divorce and all this shit, uh, yes. And I've been battling since. I have not run well since. I've run better, but it's just been a struggle. No heater in the last two years. And also don't have the capital to play as big as I like. And I just do much better in big games than I do in small games. Yeah, it's it's brutal. And, and the you know, the flip side of, of the the downswings and running bad is also true, right? Like, you know, it, when you have 80%, you expect to win. And then you start telling yourself this story in your head, like, you know, you're you're obviously on a heater, you're obviously crushing, but you're telling yourself, I'm not running that great. Like I could do this forever, of course. right? <laughs> I'm not running that yeah. great. Um, and then it's only when you get smacked back down to reality that you realize, holy shit, I would give anything to run that good again. Variance is the hardest thing for like the human mind to uh, to grasp. We w- we want there to be a reason for everything, right? Like I'm crushing. Oh, that's because I'm playing well. I'm eating well. I'm getting good sleep. I'm studying all this stuff. And yeah, there, there's some truth to that, but there's a lot of like randomness in life and tons of it in poker. And that's the hardest thing. It's just a little unsettling to realize so much of what happens is just random, you know, like uh, all the top pros right now that are, that you see crushing, they're all on heaters. That's just the way it is. Not one of them is running even and certainly not below expectation. Yeah. It's uh, it's definitely a mind fuck the, the game of poker. Um, I, and but if re- you play I, it like, go I, ahead. I, I was just going to say, I've learned too that over the years that like expectations, I feel like expectations are when you're going to get your ass handed to you. Like when you say, uh, I'm going to have a 50 K month and, and you expect this, you expect to win. You expect to, you know, I'm going to play, you know, 60 hours a week and I'm just going to crush and I'm going to make 200 an hour. And that's what I'm going to do. And you have this expectation. That's when the poker gods have always smacked me back down to earth and, I, I always try to keep in mind, like, just do your best day by day, take it day by day, hand by hand, just keep doing your best and keep doing your best. Don't have expectations, take what comes and just forge forward. That, that's, a, that's a good mindset. And also, when things are going really bad, there's only one thing to do, and that's take time off. That's the only thing you can do, right? Because suddenly people that you used to just like destroy at the table now they're feeling very confident against you. They're playing much better against you. There's a little blood in the water. And it's like people that you used to just own are starting to own you a little bit. And so that's when in your confidence is shot, you need to take time off. But if you haven't set up for that moment, you have to play. Like you can't justify not playing when you have bills to pay and you have people to pay back and whatnot. And there's it's not, just really yeah. rough. So Yeah, nothing worse than feeling that way and wanting to and having to play having no choice it's yeah like- it's yeah it's bad you know you're not going to play as well it's also bad for your mental health man the stress of that like you know having to play when you really should be not playing you should be doing anything else you should be you know letting all this stuff wash away from you this bad run uh you should be focusing on healthier things but no you have to play because you didn't you made poker your career and that was fine but now it's, you know, 10 years later and 
yeah, it's just, it's not a great spot. For sure. For sure. Let's just, let's change gears a little and uh, sure. let's go, let's go back. What, what would you consider your greatest poker success? My, okay. My greatest poker success was, and I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but when you asked the question, it just popped in my head. Um, so I have always struggled with getting aside from money, getting some value out of my career. Like it's a hustle. It's a soft hustle. Poker is, it just is. You try and keep people at the table. You try and get them to play bigger. You, it's just a soft hustle. That's fine. That's the nature of the game. Um, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. I was feeling a little bit empty despite like paying my bills every year and being a good person. I thought, so I found a way to get some value out of that. And I started creating content and I did it for free forever. My 2k thread on two plus two, where I kind of taught others how to be good for the game, how to not be greedy, how to not be short-sighted and, you know, being good for the game, sacrificing a little bit of EV here and there is actually, that's actually the smartest thing you can do for making money long-term. And you see some of the, uh, the most successful pros nowadays. Um, they've kind of, they've kind of, uh, taken that and ran with it if you, if you watch garrett play on live with the bike he's a really good example he sacrifices little bits of ev here and there by talking by you know giving action when he knows it's when he knows it's probably not plus ev prefut but the guy needs action and uh yeah so that's the thing that i'm most proud of is that i was able to find some meaning in my uh in my career even though i'm still trying to get out of it I want to become like a recreational player. That's my dream now, <laughs> but I've been able to find meaning. And now I have more content. I do a, I do a podcast, a poker podcast that, uh, you know, at least entertains people. Yeah. So I found meaning in a job that I, that really doesn't have a ton of meaning unless you uh, go out and seek it, I think. And yeah, this is, this is my same struggle too, as a cash game professional and somebody that loves people and loves giving back and loves taking care of people. What my, my biggest struggle has been that the game is, like you said, it's a hustle. It can be predatory. Uh, you're not exactly giving back to society by taking people's money at a poker table, right? And so there can be that lack of fulfillment that, that, that you struggle with. And I've struggled with that too. And um, making podcasts and creating content for me as well, helping giving back has filled that fulfillment and I've also learned over the years too that, you know, even recreational players and people that play for a hobby, they do get value when they play cards. They they have fun. They get that rush of the gamble, um, even if they're consistently losing. So it's not a completely empty thing. But the struggle, I, I definitely empathize with that struggle. I've I've felt it myself for for a long time. Yeah. So the the thing you're talking about, that step one is. So if you are going to be a winning player at the table, you got to give something for that. And so you don't have to be an entertainer. I kind of am an entertainer. But I you don't be have an to. You can I think it. you should be. You got to be an entertainer. Yeah. Like make it fun okay. for these guys. Right. But you, yeah, you have to at least be pleasant. Like you always show up and I can't tell if you're on an upswing or a downswing. You show up, you got a smile on your face. You're happy to do a flip, you know, whatever. You're just like, you're talking I, you know, that's, that's step one. You have to give something if you're going to be at the table taking money as a winning player. And that seems basic, right? And you and I have gotten that for a long time. And a lot of pros do, but a lot don't. A lot just sit there and think they're just going to take from the game and give nothing to it. And that's really bad. Those are what I like to call nits. <laughs> we don't like nits. <laughs> And, uh, no, you, you got to no. think you, you got to take into consideration too the long term, um, sustainability of the game. If you're a dick, if you're an ass, when you sit down to recreational players and you talk trash and you don't give any value back, why, why do they want to continue playing poker? If everybody in poker is like that, all the professionals that are trying to win money, all of a sudden you're just going to have nine handed games filled with a bunch of miserable human beings. And you know, yeah, that's the death exactly of poker. Right. That's the death of poker. And even for yourself, like, sure, when you become a poker pro, you'd quit your job or whatever, and you're a poker pro, you're going to have a pretty easy time going in there, laser focused for the next year or two, maybe three years, 
no problem. You're going to work out every day. You're going to eat healthy. It's your new job. You're excited about it. But 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, it's going to lose the luster. You need to have that time go by. And so what better way than talking to people, giving away tiny edges here and there, because you're not focused on every little thing they're doing, but you know, you're able to sustain, uh, you know, your, your career by not being so cutthroat. Really. And, and there's side benefits too, right? Like, uh, my relationship with Max is a side benefit of just trying to be pleasant and, and talk to people and develop those relationships. Like, especially if you play high stakes poker, you're surrounded, you know, a recreational player, there's this thought. Um, and I hear the, the idiot pros say like, oh, they're dumb. They're horrible, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this dude is so much more successful than you in life that he can come right. here and play high stakes as a hobby. Like this guy has so much value. He's so smart at business. He's an expert. He's world-class at what he does. And just talking to people, like they're happy to share information about what they're world-class in. So, you know, there's value in just talking to these human beings that you're playing cards with, getting to know them and building a relationship. Um, and, and a lot of guys, it's weird, but when you do that and, and they know, like I've never... I've never said, you know, I'm not a pro. I've never pretended to be like a recreational player, right? I, I just, right. I, I don't think people are stupid. I sit down, I'm shuffling the chips, I'm paying attention. They're going to know, like they're, they're not foolish. So I, you know, I'm, I'm very upfront about that. And like, when you're pleasant to people, you beat them in pots. They're not actually that mad. Like some guys are like, oh, well, you know, nice hand, you know? And then they just rebuy and, and life goes on. But, um, Building those relationships with the businessmen, with the successful people, is part of the journey. The journey should be enjoyed. Poker is not always just a means to an end. Um, so value that. Yeah, I mean, just on on many many levels, it benefits you to be a good human being, a good social element to the game. Um, you know, it benefits you financially, long term, getting that action, emotionally. And just inside, you don't feel. You don't feel like a piece of shit when you leave every day, um, and yeah, that's that's the that's the cringiest thing ever is when someone who thinks they're really good at poker but likely is just on a giant heater and has no idea thinks that makes them a better person than the the person that doesn't really give a shit about poker that's just there to gamble. It's that's really cringy. I feel you on that one. Yeah, and it's very common. I've learned actually that the higher stakes that I've played, the less that kind of goes away. Um, it's of like course. the, the higher stakes pros intuitively know exactly what we're talking about. But if you want to go get berated and watch people get berated, you know, go to the one, two game, there's tons of berating there. I was playing, I was playing poker for 60 hours a week at commerce in the high stakes games there. And nobody ever said a word to me. I went and messed around at a one, two game one night and I got berated four times <laughs> in three hours. Right. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> you were probably just like giving it away. Right. Yeah, I did not care. You know, like I'm right, whatever. Like I, I'm used to playing ten twenty and twenty forty no limit. Like this is fun to me. I it was my it was me being a recreational player and just trying to have fun. Of and course. these guys are fucking and you're ruining giving it. back to the you're giving back to the community, but they hate it. Play uh, right, man. Play yeah, they, right. <laughs> they, they hate it. What is up, you future star of poker, you? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to let you know about PKC poker. If you're sitting there wondering, why? Why is Coach Brad promoting this PKC Poker app thing? Allow me a moment to explain my why. Battling in cash games has been my livelihood for the past 15 years. It's how I survive and put food on the table, which makes it imperative that I either test out or seek qualified opinions on all of the poker platforms on the market. One juicy find can mean the difference between a meh year and an amazing family vacation in Hawaii kind of year. With that said, I've tried almost all the major poker apps on the market to date, and despite the hype about amazingly juicy games, I've come away from the experience unsatisfied. I was just never able to find amazing success against seemingly weak competition, and in one specific case, was getting outright destroyed by passive villains playing more than 50% of their hands. What the heck was going on? After many evenings sitting in the bathtub, wondering if I had lost it, I finally dug into the data and learned something that shouldn't have been too surprising to you. These dudes were colluding and super using their pants off. So I swore off those free money, decentralized devil apps and decided to go back to my more familiar streets of ignition. 
It was then that I was contacted by a good friend of mine who turned out to be the Vice President of Worldwide Operations at PKC. Him and I had a long, in-depth conversation about security, the ecosystem, and the future direction of PKC, and he managed to convince me to give it a shot. That shot turned into an incredible six months with an hourly rate that's about five times what it would have been playing on any other US platform. As it turns out, I didn't forget how to play. I just needed a level playing field to return to my crushing weights. I have no doubt that you, my community, my audience is going to play poker somewhere. And I wanna be damn sure that you don't go through the pain and frustration I felt by messing around with any poker app besides PKC. This is why promoting PKC is a no-brainer. I love my community, and I want to put you in the best position to succeed at this game that we both love so much. So if you'd like to join me in the streets of PKC, simply head to enhanceyouredge.com PKC and get your invite code to play. You must have an invite code, and you must be 21 years of age or older. One more time, that's enhanceyouredge.com PKC. Best of luck, and now, on with the show. So let's, uh, what, what, what is your process for regularly improving your poker game? What does that look like? For me, it's, I'm so far down the road right now that really it's just about going in uh, mentally ready to play. Like not too stressed out. I got to be rested, but I also got to be calm. I don't, I, I don't really like do, you know, I, I, I check out some training site stuff, but for me, it's just almost all autopilot. It's just, you know, take all the variables, weigh them correctly. I like, I like the way that I do that, like naturally and what I've learned over the years. So it's not about improving my game as much as it's about uh, proving my you know, state of mind when I go in there. If that make, does that make sense? Yeah, it's performance, performance related. I can autopilot like almost every decision almost every night. Um, and that's fine. So the key is to, to just do that and not get too fancy, not like overthink things. And, and yeah, I don't know. That's, that's not the, it's not a very flashy answer, but that's the answer. (laughs) Hey, we're just looking for the truth here. Your truth. DGAF's truth. Um, that's it. What's some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? Hmm. Well, tell me some of the advice that's going around. I don't know. I don't know the advice that's going around right now. Um, play GTO. I think that's that's some advice that's pretty prevalent. You, you always okay. want to play yeah. as close okay. to GTO so there, as possible. There it is. The biggest, the biggest like fallacy is trying to make online poker the same thing as live poker. Online poker, you're going to get a lot of volume in. And you can track what people are doing, right? Like you can know their freak, their tendencies in different spots. Is that correct? You can still do that, right? I don't play online, but you can still do that? Yeah, you can. Okay. Live, you will never, ever, ever get a sample size, an adequate one, against anyone in any certain spot. So to balance everything, I think you should start, you should come from a place of balance. You should understand how to balance your range, et cetera. But if you're, you know, you're wasting money. If you know the guy's just not going to fold and, uh, and you're betting with, bl- you have bluffs in your range, that may be great in theory, but it's really bad in uh, practice. Oh my God. So I completely just, agree with you. You can't make, live poker's different. It's not, it's just not online poker. Online poker is very technical and uh, very theoretical. Life's just a lot different. It's uh, very psychological. And, and even in both of them, there are spots where, you know, you, you plug it in a GTO. And obviously, GTO, a solver is going to have you bluffing a certain percentage, right? But I know. Right. I can look at this dude and say, this motherfucker, if I bet his firstborn child, he is not folding here, right? It doesn't matter. Well, of course. So I do not want to have bluffs in my range. Like, just play exploitive. And it's not even exploitative, actually. It's GTO. If you know that the dude's never folding, GTO will say, never bluff him, right? It's just all about data. Of course. Collecting great data um, and playing optimally that way. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's that's something. It's a little thing that I'm uh, a little ticky-tacky. I don't think there really is exploitation. I just think there's bad data. 
um, that you input into a solver. Yeah, I like that. I mean, there, there are certain things in, you know, just there are certain things you need to balance against like the more, the reasonably perceptive players, your opening sizes, your seabed, like so a lot of the things, like my favorite exploit is these guys that will pot control every one pair of hand and they'll seabet just a very polarized range. Like they don't have it, they'll seabet or they follow a monster, they seabet. And that's just really easy to play against. You just raise um, them. So yeah. <laughs> that's, just raise that's the shit out just, of them. Like float or raise, yeah. yeah. But that's, uh, so that's, you know, there are parts of the game you do need to balance and, and, and all that. But a lot of the, a lot of it you don't, like you said, that guy just stacked off. His wife just called him and pissed him off. He's been drinking all night. And if you're going to have bluffs in your range on the river, you're a fucking idiot. Like you just, you better have it here. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's where a lot of people uh, go wrong trying to force it when, you know, just dude's not folding. And there are absolutes in a lot of these spots where dude's not folding. And then the flip side is dude's never calling. So exploit the fact yeah, that's, that that's he's just folding thing. too much. Then you should, when you have the hand, you just shouldn't bet as much as when you don't have the hand. That, exactly. That just seems so basic. Yeah, I, I like, mean, I've done that forever. It's, you know, like the Doug Polks of the world will, will not agree with that, but that's fine. Uh, it just makes, it's common sense. Like, and, and you're saying it is GTO. It's just the, the data that, that is in there to say have bluffs in your range is wrong. Right, exactly. You, the, the data that you're inputting yeah. is wrong, and so the feedback's wrong. But like in, in live poker, uh, you talked about betting small versus the weaker ranges, which like I've always done that too because it makes sense. Like if they're not going to call a 66% pot size bet, what bet will they call? Um, or on the flip side is what bet can I make that induces a raise with their bluffs, right? It's either those are of the course. two things going, going on my – on in my mind on the river and uh with live poker there's like you said it's psychological and that those spots where villains are super weak um you know say it's a three thousand dollar pot and you bet 175 on the river there's a psychological element that like guys don't want to fold you know they look at the pot they see the pot so big they look at your bet your bet is so small and there's this social pressure too that like they don't want to look silly on the river um, yeah. so that can induce You're questioning the exactly exactly so yeah. uh that induces the raise and then you get the value that you wanted you have to be clever in extracting value yeah uh, agreed so 2007 30 year old dgaf um let's imagine that that dude is right here sitting next to you and you have the chance to give him some wisdom what would that wisdom be the, you know what? I actually did get this wisdom at that time from someone who had been around and, and he said, always have come up with your exit strategy now. Yes, I know you're crushing the game. You're destroying it. Come up with your exit strategy now. There'll be a time when you don't want to do this or you'll start running poorly. And I actually, someone had that talk with me, but I didn't, I didn't listen to him. I'm a little bit hard headed. So how did it make you feel when maybe, you had that talk? What were you thinking? You don't know, man. You don't know how good I am. You don't know how much I love this game. You know, like, even if you are really good, you're not going to love it. Like, you're just not going to love it as much after 20,000 hours of sitting there and, like, hearing the same conversations, <laughs> you know, seeing the same nervous energy, getting hit and run all the time, just all that stuff. That's fine. It's fine for the first few years. It's even, like, it's kind of exciting. And then, and then the luster wears off. So I would say, okay, you're not going to listen to me because you're fucking hard headed, but <laughs> you know, you'll remember this conversation that I'm right. Like you should not make this a long-term career. Go ahead. You can play full time when you're in your twenties, whatever, but just know it's like a three year thing or whatever. And it's just, you're going to want different things in life. You're going to want less stress that's not the swings are fine right when you start out but then like as it goes on it accumulates like the effect of it of just swinging all the time sucks every time you know you lose a big pot as a big favorite it gets worse and worse as you get older just i think that's just the way it is yeah so i would have it, the same conversation the guy the guy had with me but 
Yeah, I don't know. I think most, <laughs> a lot of people will listen. A lot of people, I've said this a lot in my thread, and I've actually, what you know, quote unquote, saved some people from making poker their career. They still play. They play well. They play high. They play the biggest games. And if you've noticed, in well, you don't play a ton of live anymore, but the rec players, there, there's not much difference between them and the pros. Like a lot of them are just as good, and they're less stressed, so they're playing better. And I don't. I think that there's still value in playing this game for a living and making it your income and trying to do it long term. But you know, it's a game, right? And I play millions of hands of the same game, and you have to think to yourself at some point, this gets a little redundant, right? This can get a little mm-hmm. boring when you see the same situations. You, you know, you're, you're playing the same 18 holes of golf over and over and over again for 15 years straight. So try to achieve balance, look for balance specifically and, and different income streams and just protect yourself, build that, that bubble to where poker isn't necessary. And if poker is not necessary, then it's fun. It's a treat. It's, um, it, it can be a large percentage of your income, 60, 70, 80%, but still focus sure. on try, trying to find those other streams. Well, you said it exactly right, too. Like, at first, it seems great. Like, I would love to play golf every day for the next, you know, year or whatever, or five days a week for the next year, the same course or whatever. But after that, it's, I always, I always compare it to like porn. Like, think about when you're like, in your 20s, how awesome it would be to be a porn star. Like, you're having sex and you're getting paid for it. That's what it kind of feels like when you're a poker pro. But then now be 45 years old and you're like, I don't want to go fuck right now. (laughs) (laughs) I have have never heard that analogy. (laughs) I don't think I've ever had that desire. But uh, to each their own, sir. The the dream job becomes a nightmare job. Yeah, I think that makes a career. Right. I think, you know, when I, when I was 22 years old and I remember, uh, I was with a friend and my mom was around and we were talking and my friend said, you know, I'll never forget. He said, you know, Brad never has to have a real job again. Brad never has to work or have a real job again. Right. And that's always stuck with me. And that was, that was the feeling, right. When you first start, it's like, Mm -hmm. holy shit, I don't need a job. Like I can do this thing. And, um, it's exciting. It's an adventure. Um, but like you said, uh, life goes in seasons and things change. Yeah. I mean, look, look how many people, I know no limit only broke and that's when it became really profitable, but just look how many people have made it from the start to now and are happy people that haven't binked. Of course, if you bink something huge, that's different. You start investing like, uh, John sin, you know, he's probably set for life, right? He won the, the main event. He was, he was, you know, he played, do you remember playing with him or was he after you? I don't know. Look, I'm going to show some know a, ignorance here. I don't know who's won the main event, like the last 10 years. I haven't, I, I haven't okay. kept, kept up with it. Tournament poker. So this year, why can't I think of who won it this year? <laughs> I don't know who won it this year, but the guy that won it last year was a commerce reg. And he was playing in the games that we were playing in, but I think he may have come after you. Mm-hmm. I think maybe he was playing five ten when when you were there, and then he moved up when you when you went um, when you stopped going to commerce. And so he had a huge bank, right? And I imagine he's investing. And so, like, yeah, he can always be a poker pro, but he had that huge anomalous bank. But how many people just grind? And are happy 10, 15, 20 years later, none. Like they all get into something else. I'm into content now. I'm trying to monetize my podcast. Um, you're, you're doing other stuff on the side. Every single person that stays in poker does something else. So why not start that thing immediately and never dive all the way in? And, and um, it, you know, it, it's a, it's an interesting thing. It like, I, I love poker. I still have a lot of love for the the depth and the strategy in the game. But um, at some point, when you have success, sustained success, you, it, it can get a little boring. You want a challenge, right? I think professional poker yeah. players thrive on challenges. They, they thrive on overcoming obstacles and doing these things and succeeding where lots of people fail. So when you succeed for a long time, you want to seek out other challenges to prove yourself. Um, I think that's a very natural sequence of events. Of course. 
So let's just do this lightning round. There's a 23-year-old kid that's listening to this show right now in the audience who is, you know, he wants to chase poker greatness himself, wants to give it a shot. You can give them one book to read. What book would you give them? Wow, that's a great question. I wish I was more of a reader because I would definitely have them read some book about life that doesn't even have anything to do with poker. But I think like for me, like theory of poker, is, it's, it's, it's so old and it's not even outdated. It's just the best book with understanding EV, just like the basics that remain the staples of winning money in poker. I wish I read more and I would suggest some like great philosophical <laughs> book, but maybe you could do that for that kid. Uh, but I can't, unfortunately. My, I don't read that much. Yeah, my books, uh, all the books that I would suggest, and I've talked about it in my other shows, but um, Rock, Break, Scissors, I think, is is my favorite by William Poundstone. I read it. It's about randomness and human beings and how humans are literally the worst random number generators, um, and yet we think we're amazing. And leveraging that at the poker table and just in life, uh, that that book was hugely beneficial and instructional to me. But uh, all my all my books that I would give 23, 24-year-old kids, they all would improve their poker game, but they're more life than specifically poker. Yeah, that one you mentioned sounds great. Like if you can understand variants, it's going to help you or just have a grasp, a little bit of a grasp on it, which no one, almost no one does. It'll improve your poker game for sure and help you handle the swings better, but it'll just make you better at life. You'll understand that if you're doing really well, you did run hot in different ways, genetics, upbringing, something. And if you're not doing well, you didn't run hot in some way, genetics, all that same stuff. And you'll just be more humble and uh, just a better way to live. So that's a great book. I would tell a 23-year-old to take theory of poker and throw it in the trash and read the books that Brad tells you to read. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It, we, we have this tendency. I don't, to... <laughs> I don't read poker books. So that was a tough one. I don't, I don't really read. I'm too busy. It, it's so easy to focus and zoom in on the graph and look at like this, this downswing and think that it's the end of the world instead of zooming out and looking at the big picture of things. And you know, if you want to be a poker professional, zoom out, look at the big picture don't freak out when, you know, you lose four or five sessions in a row. These things happen. Just, you know, keep your mindset right and forge on. Um, I, I would also just add really quickly, one thing I'm very passionate about, and there are different books on it, is uh, focused breathing. You can go, you can use it to relax. You, you can use it to meditate. Um, I use it at the table. I know a lot of other pros now do as well. I use it away from the table all the time. If you can learn to the moment you're having any kind of negative emotion or you feel too wound up to just have it kick in. Oh, I need to do some focused breathing. That will change your life a ton. What's a resource that the audience can go find that app? What do you um, use? They could download Headspace. They could download that app. And yeah, using a breathing app. At first I was like, what? A breathing app? And then, yeah, a breathing app. It's great. Uh, there, there are several of them, uh, but Headspace is the one that people are, you know, most keen on it seems like in, you know, it's just, it's life-changing. I used to have a lot of, I thought it was anxiety, but it wasn't, it turns out it was nervousness. And I don't have much at all anymore because the moment I start to feel that shit coming on, I do some focused breathing. And after you use the app for a while, you can learn to do it without the app. I do it in traffic. I do it all the time. And here's another thing that I've learned. I learned it from my buddy, uh, Adam Creek. He's an Olympic gold medalist. And I asked him, you know, what did it feel like, you know, getting, he, he was rowing at, uh, I think it was Athens or maybe it was Beijing Olympics, 2008. He was in his boat. They're about to compete. They're the favorites to be the Olympic champions, right? They're multiple time world champion. And, and I, and he was telling me like, he's talking to himself. He's like, thank you. Thank you for this nervousness. Thank you for this anxiety. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm like, why are you thankful for that nervousness, that anxiety? And he said, it's energy. That's what it is. Like you can funnel it in a negative way where you ruminate or you can funnel it in a positive way where you focus. So he's very thankful for that anxiety and that energy. And I'm a huge proponent of meditation as well. I, I love it. I think that, you know, focus 
and uh, cultivating our awareness is one of the most powerful things we do. It's like lifting weights for your brain. So 100% check out Headspace. You can check out Calm, any one of those apps. The most important thing is just do it. Make it a practice. Um, Invest the time and energy into getting it done. Yeah, it doesn't take long. It takes me like two minutes. If I get... If something happens that really bothers me, it takes me two minutes if I do it correctly to get back. That two minutes is not bad. You no, know? That's, like, that's, that's a massive plus EV play for two minutes. Yeah. What's something that you used to strongly believe about poker that you've recently changed your mind? And what led to that change? Let's see here. That I used to strongly believe about it and it's changed. I would say, I think, uh, I think people talk about game selection. And it's, it's important to be in good games. Obviously, that's where the money is. doesn't matter how good you are. If you're sitting in some knit festival, nine-handed, two-blind game, you're not winning shit, running even. So it's important to be in good games. But rather than game select, you should game cultivate. You should make the game fun. Put the straddle on. You're the pro. you got to start giving a little bit of EV, and then others will follow along. And you have to manage the knit. Like, unfortunately, you have to be a little bit of a vigilante at the poker table. <laughs> uh, so I don't game select. I don't go look for good games. I make them out of thin air. How? I sit down. I mean, not everyone can drink when they play, but I can just have a few beers. Um, even, even if I'm not, I can talk. I can put the straddle on. I can talk, say jokes. I will not think because I've won a lot of money in poker, and I think I'm good at it. That doesn't make me think I'm... Um, anything as a human being like being a human being is separate and so i just try and connect with people and i cultivate games you will see like i can go to any casino and if if their biggest game is 510 the next morning you might see a 20 40 80 going it's just and how did i do it just being chill being me having fun not taking myself too seriously making the game fun i didn't game select i game cultivated yeah I, I, that's, that's such an awesome answer. And I found there's this interesting psychology that happens, especially if somebody's like you, right? You're playing heads up, you're starting games. When I play online and and there's screen names involved, uh, take it back in like ultimate bet days, right? I sit down at a a six handed table by myself. All the games are horrible. The regs don't sit against me. The regs don't want to play me heads up. So who sits against me? The recreational players. So all of a sudden I get get three wrecks that sit against me. And then by that time, the regs kind of see what's happening and they jump in. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've created a good game. And also when I played a live tournament a few months ago, you know, I don't play much live and it's a tournament and tournaments are weird in that everybody was so serious. Like it was like, oh my God, like every decision was like the end of the world, right? <sighs> but like, yeah. I just start talking to people and making jokes and like lightening people up. And, and all of a sudden people are laughing. People are splashing around a little bit more. The game gets more fun. And you always want to try to make the games as fun as possible if, if you can, because that just it's just a better experience overall. Win, lose, or draw, the experience matters. It's creating that game. It's creating what... You know, the people that are there with money to lose and want the entertainment and you're there, you got to bring the entertainment because you want the money. That's basic. So it's creating that for them. But it's also, like you said, standing up to the nits and you can do that in different ways. Like I, if, if I, you can be a really good player and if you're good for the game in other ways, I'm happy to have you in my game. But if you're bad for the game in any way, if you open the button, I'm never letting you like, you're, you're going to have to battle for this. And I know that like Nits don't, they don't want to battle, even if, you know, sometimes they're going to have a good hand there, but they know to open wide and they don't know how to battle with, with a wide range. So, but if this person on the button is cool and good for the game, even though they're a winning player, but they smile, they do different things. I'm not going to take like this super high variance. I'm just going to fold my fucking hand. But if you're, if you're garbage for the game, I'm coming after you every single time you open a pot. And eventually, yeah, you're right. Those people are not going to want to play. Yeah, it's very specifically, I remember a situation at, at Commerce. Uh, there was a week where I played a ton with Bruno Mars. Just, I don't know, probably Love that guy. 40 to 60 hours of cards with him. And there was this one weird dude 
uh, I can't remember his name. I do remember his name, but I'm not going to say it. But he was really weird towards Peter Jean, uh, <laughs> as Bruno Mars's name is. He was like trying to get him to to look at songs that he had written. He had like moved up stakes. Really? Yeah, he had moved up stakes just to play against. Uh, oh, I was going to say JJ Commerce, but now I think it's someone else. No, it's not JJ. It's not JJ. Um, <laughs> okay. His name's Ma- okay. Matrix, but yeah, he it was really weird. And so that the dude built up and he had moved up stakes and he had built up um, like a 5k stack or something and me and him get it in and he's like being ultra weird. And uh, I'm cool with running it twice, whatever anybody wants to do. I'm there to, to make the game fun. I'll do whatever they want. But uh, when I got it in against that guy, I was like, no, one time. <laughs> like, we're going to run this one time. I'm going to bust you, and we're going to fill that seat up with somebody else. As, and that's exactly what, what happened. I busted him, and he left, and he couldn't rebuy. It's a little bit uncomfortable being – like, that's just being – that's not being super confrontational, but sometimes you have to be – because you have to protect the game. The players run the game, and Bruno Mars is the shit. My favorite celebrity of all time to play with. I love that guy. Yeah. Uh, so go cool, go to the next one. But yeah, you did the right thing. Get rid of the fucking guy that's trying to get too much out of the game. Just be happy to be in the game, you know? Exactly. He, he wants to be a normal yeah. guy. Like, and I mean, as we all do, right? What's a project you're working on that's uh, near and dear to your heart? Um, I have several of them. I have a clothing company called Poker Rags. I have a book I'm writing called The Long Run, which is just the same idea as everything I've been saying in the last hour. But, and I have, you know, a couple of podcasts. My, my, my main project right now is Sessions. Um, that's my podcast. It started out as just my poker story and it quickly turned into my life story, which I'm on the comeback trail. I'm way at the beginning of it. Just, you know, I've already... I've already told you that I've already done this before. This time it's taking a lot longer. It's just a very real podcast. Um, the feedback I get is really incredible. If you just go read the reviews, it's insane what people are saying. Um, and that's my passion. This is what I want to do. So uh, this is sessions. That's that's it, man. And I, and I beg the audience go check that out. You're a, you know one of one of the really genuinely amazing dudes in poker that gives back and gives everything. Not just gives back, but gives everything that he has to give back. And when when they check out your content, they'll see that it'll it resonates with a lot of people. It's very giving, very generous. At the end of the day, thank you. At the end of the day, because there will be an end of the day for all of us. What would you like your poker legacy to be? How would you like your community, your people to remember you. I was the one, like this is what that uh, you know. Actually, some some old school guy told me this a couple of years in after I moved to Vegas. He said, "You're the first person I've ever known to absolutely crush the game and absolutely be amazing for the game." And <laughs> that's that's what I want. That's you know, I just. I looked at everything long-term. I, uh, I wanted to be a good person. I wanted to have fun in my life. I needed to win money, but I never got greedy. And yeah, I, I learned pretty quickly how to be good for the game while uh, winning a lot of money. That's huge value. It's, a, it's a, an awesome thing to, to strive for. And I have no doubt that that will be what the people that know you well, that have played against you, that have battled, um, spent time with you on the felt, that will be what, what people think about. Um, I can guarantee that. And uh, final question, where, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Webs? So anywhere you get podcasts, you can search DJF and you will see the Iceman avatar. And yeah, DJF under you know Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever, you'll see that there. You can go to 2 Plus 2 Poker Forums and go to the Medium High Full Ring I have a thread that I started when I thought I was getting out of poker in 2012. That didn't work out so well. <laughs> um, it, has, it has over a million views just in the middle of nowhere on the internet. It's called 2K, a poker story. Way too motherfucking long. Didn't read, obviously. Um, so yeah, the, those just or you could just search DJF Poker Player. You could just put it anywhere in your browser and stuff will come up, my blog site. Um, but really, if you want to check out the best that I offer that's sessions go just, but if you type sessions in your podcast search bar, it might not work. So just uh, put in DJF and you'll see 
Iceman. That's Teddy Monroe, the black dude with the uh, diamond, fake diamond encrusted headphones. Uh, and that's my avatar. Always has been. Probably always will be. And all this stuff will be in the show notes as well. And we'll also blast it out on our social media channels so that you, you guys that, you know, you member of the audience that's watching right now can easily find all of DGAF's content. Man, it's been an amazing time. I, I enjoyed it as always. Let's do a round two, 100% in six months or a year. We'd be very happy to have you back. Uh, yeah, definitely, man. Thanks for hitting me up. Great, great catching up with you. You seem like you're doing well. I see those stacks behind you. You got, you got a lot of red chips, a lot of green, a lot of black. <laughs> yeah. No, but thanks for having me on, man. Um, very cool. I, I, I liked you from day one, you know, even though you were a really good player. And that's how it goes. <laughs> After you're in the game for a while, you don't, that's not, all you care about is how's this person as a human being. And I, I think that, that that would be the legacy that, that I would want to leave in, in poker. I just want to be a good dude that, you know, people had fun playing with and that uh, was, was good for the game and in the way that it made, made it fun because that's, that, yeah. that's what matters to me. I think you're on your way as well. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I also wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new platform where the games are safe and secure and the action is amazing, head to enhancedredge.com slash PKC to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's enhanceyouredge.com slash PKC. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.